North Carolina gets back in the win column, and it was all thanks to massive second-half defense and a career day from Elliott Cadeau. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, what's up? Welcome in. North Carolina gets a win down at Miami, 75-71. They moved their record to 19-5 on the season, 11-2 in ACC play. As of now, this is yet another quad one win for the Tar Heels. We'll see where it falls when things refresh uh, in tomorrow's net rankings. Carolina, importantly, holds on to their lead in first place because Duke got a win earlier on Saturday as well. Uh, I'm not actually sure what uh, Virginia has done. I haven't even looked in on them today. Um, And curious enough, this was the only ACC team that Coach Hubert Davis had not beaten yet in his first couple years at Carolina, and now that is over. So here's how we handle these live post-game reactions. Welcome in, by the way, if you're here, I'm your host, Isaac Shade. So good to be together. Got four things we want to talk about. I'll have a quick ad break for other things we'll mention, and then I'll look at taking some questions and observations from you all in the live chat for those who are live on YouTube. If you're listening back later after the fact, we're so glad that you're here as well. I'm going to go ahead and put up the box score so that those of you who are watching can follow along with that. And we're going to get right into this thing right here. All right. Here's where I want to start is at the start. And what I mean is this, one of the critical things always on the road, where by the way, Carolina is now six and one, still the only road loss all season is the loss at Georgia Tech a couple Tuesdays ago. But remember, Tuesday against Clemson, the Tigers got out to a 15 to two start. This game was almost identically opposite to that as Carolina gets going with a 15 to four start against uh, against Miami and Coach Lear, like they didn't even get to the under 16 timeout. Coach Lear and I, Coach Lear had to take a timeout to get there. Um, and here was what was really critical about that stretch is it came on the back of Elliot Cadeau, who we're going to talk more about here in just a minute. But in in those 15 points that Carolina scored to start uh, the game before Coach L's timeout, he either scored or assisted on 12 of the 15. So not only is Carolina starting hot really important, but Elliot Cadeau being so assertive out of the gate was a massive part of that. And so, look, I know Miami fought back. We're going to talk about the, the closing stretches to both halves later on in this live postcast. Um, but... Man, so, so, so important there to get that start. Now, what what's interesting is when I mentioned on yesterday's show that the start was going to be so critical in this game, I just meant it the first half. But it turned out because of how Miami battled back that the second half then also became critical, how Carolina started after halftime. As you know, Miami took a one-point lead at the half, and then they hit a three to start the second half, and it's like, ooh, that momentum they were riding down the stretch is here again. But... After that Miami initial three to start the second half, Carolina went on a 14-2 to run to snatch a lead that they would not then relinquish. Almost did, but never did. So what that means is that critically, North Carolina had a kill shot, which we define as a 10-0 run or better, at the early stages of both halves. 
massive, massive, massive to do on the road, massive, massive, massive to do that specifically coming out of what happened against Clemson. I I said that I was not worried about Carolina being locked back in. I know there was a lot of um, hand-wringing after the Clemson loss and the Georgia Tech loss. You lose here, and that would have been three of the last four. It was not that way. Great work by Carolina to re-come back out, kind of establish here's who we are as a team. You will not come after us. All right. Aside from the start, the single biggest thing I want to talk about is Carolina's second half defense and how critically, critically important it was to this victory. In the first half, Miami scored 41 total points, which was more than they scored in the entirety of the Virginia game, by the way, I might mention. 34 of those 41 points were a combination of Norchad O'Meara and Nigel Pack. Nigel Pack had 18 points in the first half and O'Meara had 16. So again, that means 34 of Miami's 41 first half points was from that duo. So my biggest question at halftime outside of Carolina's defense in totality was just, can you slow down one or both of these guys? And the answer to that question was a resounding, resounding yes. And look, I know Nigel Pack was a little banged up in the second half, but he came back in and played. So you're getting no sympathy from me on that one. So to that question, again, 34 points in the first half. In the second half, Norchet O'Meara and Nigel Pack combined for just six points. What's key about that is not only did you hold them down, you know who had the main guarding assignment on both of those guys? RJ Davis and Armando Baycott. Your two like studs, your stars, the guys that have been in this program the longest, they took those critical defensive assignments and they owned them. That Man, that is part, it's not just about scoring for those two guys. It's about doing these other things. And you saw that in a big way. And, and it, you saw some of the specific ways that that happened. For example, as part of that 14 to two run to start the second half, there was a play where um, Omir got trapped over in on the on the left sideline, actually by Armando, who did a great job moving his feet. RJ came with him. Omir tried to jump pass out of it. Elliot Cadeau had great instincts to jump that lane and got a run out layup. Great, great job there. Um, RJ blocked Nigel Pack about 13, 18, and then recovered it himself. Armando had that critical block on Norchad O'Meara as he was trying to, if I, my brain's all jumbled now, but I believe that layup would have tied the game in the closing seconds there. Um, and so really good stuff. Another part of it um, was, and, and we'll talk more about this on the Monday show, is that in the first half, Carolina was two, three point happy and didn't establish enough of a post presence. They did a much better job with that in the second half. But as part of that, Armando did a really good job sealing Norchad O'Meara. On two occasions, O'Meara had no chance, no choice, excuse me, but to just wrap Armando up. And so that was really, really important there. Um, but then also um, in holding these two guys down, Norchet, like it wasn't just that they had only those six points. It's that Omir scored the first points for either of these two guys with 809 left in the game. That means neither of them scored for almost the first 12 minutes of the second half. Nigel Pack didn't score till there were 721 left. So really beautiful and brilliant job by North Carolina to hold down Pack and Omir in the second half. Uh, the third thing I want to talk about is let's expand outside of those two guys to Carolina's defense in totality. Now, obviously, holding them down was a big part of that. 
But if you've been with us, you know, one of the things I've been talking about is that Carolina, in terms of defensive points per possession, had done a great job holding their opponents under one point per possession for a lot of, of the uh, early part of ACC play as they were on that nice winning streak. Basically, for those who are unfamiliar, you want to hold a team defensively under one point per possession, and you as an offense want to score above one point per possession. So Miami in the first half scored 41 points and did so at 1.171 points per possession. And so I would honestly, at, at halftime, I was just resigned to, all right, here we go. Miami's going to hit 80 points. Carolina's going to give up over a point per possession again. But in the second half, North Carolina's defense, again, chiefly because of what they did on Pac and O'Meara, held Miami not only just slightly under one point per possession, 0.882. That is so much lower than they had been. That means for the game, Carolina held Miami to 0.986 points per possession, meaning for just the second time in the last eight games, the Tar Heels held an offense to under one point per possession. It was on the road. It was critical to do that, um, to, to kind of reestablish how you feel about Carolina's defense. And so I loved to see that. So Miami, after scoring 41 in the first half, scored just 31 in the second half. So you love to see that. All right. And then the fourth thing I want to talk about is Elliot Cadeau, who had a career high in scoring 19 points. Um, I, I've already talked about um, the, the start that he had being responsible to, for scoring or assisting on 12 of Carolina's first 15. Um, and then just continuing to attack continuing to shoot my man Elliot Cadeau made two threes in this game the first one was his first three of calendar year 2024 since the calendar turned to 2024 he had not made a three-pointer the last one he made was the Charleston Southern game right before Carolina got in back into ACC play but then he followed it up and made a second one I listen I'm not saying this is a three-point revolution for Elliot Cadeau all of a sudden because obviously you got to stack them but just the fact that he was A, confident to take them, and B, knocked down a couple, is so encouraging. Why? Because it means that defenses are going to probably have to start honoring that at least a little bit. And that's going to do so much for him with pump fakes. It's going to do so much to draw more attention. Remember, teams, uh, Duke started doing this last Saturday. They doubled Armando off of Elliot Cadeau's guy. And obviously Elliot went, you know, eventually they found that action to screen RJ's guy and get him open. But still, if Elliot's going to be able to knock, start knocking some down, coaches and then his primary defenders are going to have to start thinking second thoughts about doubling off of him if he can do that. So that was critical. But it wasn't just that. Here's what's great. It wasn't just about the shot making in this game for Elliot, which by the way, in totality, let me, let me give you, you can see it there, but seven of 14 from the field, two of six on threes and three of four from the free throw line. But in addition, Elliot had eight assists, great stuff there. Now five turnovers. Let's, let's admit that I never want to sugarcoat anything for you. I always want to be transparent and upfront. So five, five turnovers, but he did have eight assists in this game. You'll love that. But also, Elliot, four steals for Mr. Cadeau. You love to see that. Also contributed three rebounds. So Elliot doing a little bit of everything. And here's another thing. You know, we've talked about Elliot Cadeau's uh, foul trouble and needing him to be able to do better. You think about who he's guarding in this game. Uh, it's, a, it's a veteran Miami backcourt. Elliot, just one foul. 
that's really important as well. But perhaps the single most important play that I loved from him in this game, you might have loved it as well. 8.50 left in the first half. I forget which Miami player had the ball, but Elliott was able to strip it. Not only did he strip it, but the ball was loose between the Miami player's legs. Elliott dives between his legs, saves the ball, and then is able to get it back to, I think it was Jalen Washington. Yeah, it was Jay Wash who he pitched it back to. And so like those moments, that that is what makes your teammates love you, right? It's like when a, when a quarterback uh, picks up a critical first down with his legs. Uh, a team's freshman point guard getting on the ground like that, man, I'm going to go to war with that every day of the week. And I know you feel that way as well. And then two possessions later, this wasn't Elliott, but RJ did the same thing. Harrison Ingram had a nice little poke away. RJ got on the ground to secure possession for the Tar Heels. And so you just love to see dudes getting on the floor, winning 50-50 balls in another team's arena. Love it. Elliott Cadeau, great game from you, young man. Way to go. Now, we've got several more things I want to touch on, including RJ Davis, including no Seth uh, Tremble yet again and what that meant for Carolina. We'll get to all those and more in just a second. But first, I need to tell you that this episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That thing is tomorrow, y'all. Can you believe it? I'd love to hear your plans for it. I'm going to just sit on my couch with my family. But still, it's going to be awesome. Because if you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring that best seat on the couch. I know I'm going to be doing it, but my daughter's going to be crawling all over me. But it's going to be great. I'm an Atlanta boy. We're going to be watching Usher. It'll be lit. But I love to sit there and then grab my favorite snacks, have some good drinks, and just hang out. Maybe even get a few prop bets in with FanDuel. Right now, 49ers favored by two and a half in this game. But that's not the only way for you to bet. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end this NFL season with a W. So beyond betting on who's going to win Super Bowl 58, they've got things like who's going to score a touchdown, how many points will be scored. So new customers, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Again, FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Okay, got four more things I want to talk about. Welcome on in. If you're just joining us, we're so glad you're here. We're talking about Carolina's 75, I think I said 71 earlier, 75-72 victory, excuse me, over Miami in this game. Let's do another check on Ken Palm to see if it has refreshed yet. It has. North Carolina stays at eight at Ken Palm, defense is eighth, and the offense, interestingly, falls to 28th in efficiency. I also want to check... um, to see, I don't have that up. So anyway, we'll come back to that later. All right, four more things I want to touch on and then we'll get to the chat and see what you've got for us. By the way, if you're watching on YouTube, we've got the box score pulled up for you. RJ Davis, let's talk about him in this game. RJ has been somewhat inefficient from the field lately. Um, Was just, what was it? Seven of 22 against Clemson in this game from the field, just six of 19. And what's interesting is most of that inefficiency is on two-point shots. Again, five of 11 from three in this game, one off his career high. His career high was six threes. He made that when Carolina played Brown against Paxson Wojcik, actually, back in what would that have been, November of 21, I believe. But anyway, RJ in this game, 25 points, five of 11 from three. I mean, he very, very well 
could uh, end up breaking that single season Carolina three pointers made record. If you hang on with me just a second, I'll tell you how many he's up to for the season. Um, he had, man, that's back to back games with five three pointers. Um, he will now have 75 threes on the season. Crazy stuff. Um, RJ, by the way, also now has made multiple threes in 21, I think is the number straight games, Carolina all-time record. Great stuff. Okay. But here's the thing for RJ. Not only is he scoring 25 points, not only is he making five threes, eight for eight from the free throw line. You love to see it. How many get six, seven games in a row where he had missed a free throw. Um, now eight for eight in this one had that critical there was that play where he got fouled. Norchad O'Meara got a tech, I think, for just mouthing off. We, you know, I think it was just he said the wrong thing to the ref. Um, and so RJ this just calmly sunk four in a row. Carolina built out a lead there. So you love RJ stepping to the line and doing work there. But also seven rebounds for RJ Davis in this game. That was second um, behind Armando's 15 rebounds. Absolutely love to see that. So RJ also had five assists. That means that's 13 combined between he and Elliott in this game. By the way, Carolina as a team um, had 15 assists on 24 made field goals. Really quick math. Uh, nope, that's not the right math. 15 divided by 24. That's 62 and a half assist percentage. You will take that every day. Um, RJ himself had three turnovers with his five assists. So 13 to eight assisted turnover ratio for he and Elliott combined. Um, and that's one thing that was a little eh, for me with RJ in this game. Um, he did have one or two um, unfortunate turnovers. There was that time he got out in transition, got caught up in the air and just kind of threw it away. I really thought he, I, I know he was taking like one on three against Miami, but I thought he could have gotten a ball up on the rim, especially because Pack was the primary defender and he was hobbled at that point. Um, there was also that one, there might've been more shots that I didn't like from RJ, but there was the one just like deep two where he took like a one-handed shot off of one foot. There's plenty of time left on the shot clock. So, so a couple of eh, decisions from RJ, but here's what I want to say. Even though he was six of 19 from the field, a lot of it was in the second half. His defense on Nigel Pack was so important. That defense that we talked about earlier that um, like I thought that really tired him out because let me give you the breakdown of his field goals from first half to second half. Listen to this. RJ in the first half, five of nine from the field, four of six from three. In the second half, one of 10 from the field, one of five from three. And I know you might look at that and say, oh boy, RJ really falling off. To me, that was completely a um, result of his ex expended defensive intensity on Nigel Pack. So now if you want to say, all right, so RJ, that means you need to be more of a facilitator and, and pass more and shoot less in that scenario. I hear that argument, but that's why that happened in my opinion. All right. The second thing I want to talk about on this back half of the show, another game with no Seth Trimble. This is now back to back games. Um, still, you know, kind of mum on what officially happened. Um, have heard there was a, a collision in practice. You know, Seth was on the bench in street clothes again, upper body injury. I wouldn't be surprised if it is some kind of, this is me speculating. So please, please, please do not run with this. Right. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was some kind of head to head thing or head to something else thing. And, and you're just got some concussion symptoms that wouldn't shock me at all. But again, hear me say that is total speculation on my part. Um, and while, you know, in, in college sports, unlike 
other professional leagues, we do not have mandated injury reporting specifics yet. I know the Big Ten is talking about getting into that, um, but that's not yet a thing. And so you do see more of like, hey, I don't want to give my opponents an edge by reporting something I don't have to. I also, um, sometimes there's like protecting the um, privacy of the student athlete. And I hear that as well, but no Seth Trimble for Carolina. They were able to overcome it more capably in this game than they were the Clemson game. Although you saw where um, his presence in this game was missing. I'll say more about that in just a second, but I also want to say I, we cannot as Carolina feel this. Oh, woe was us pity us. We got a player out. Look, Miami was missing a starter in freshman Keyshawn George, who, by the way, could have been a perhaps even more critical factor than Seth Trimble in this game. He is a 6'8 kind of forward guard hybrid. He can step out and hit threes. I think had five threes, five of nine from three in a game earlier this season. Um, hasn't started all season. So you might look at the typical starting lineups and be like, he doesn't start. I promise you he does. He started each of the last two games for Miami and could have been a critical piece in this game. So look, Let's see that level playing field as both teams were missing a critical piece of their rotation in this game. And so there's no woe is me. It is you got to go out and figure out how to win without Seth Trimble in this game. Now, who was the benefit? Obviously, we, we talked about in the Clemson game. It was Paxson Wojcik, who was the beneficiary of that getting more minutes. It was him yet again, had 18 minutes in this game. Didn't score at all, unlike the other day, but he did have three rebounds in uh, in the game, including a critical offensive rebound that he had at one point. But Paxson played 18 minutes. Jalen Washington played six. And Jalen Withers, curiously, again, only five minutes played for Jay Witt um, and three minutes for Zayden High. So um, kind of curious bench rotation. I, I still I would like to see more Jay Witt in the game, more minutes from him. But um, similar to the Clemson game, where you most felt Seth's absence, where was it? First half as Nigel Pack was going off, right? You put Seth Trimble on him and maybe it doesn't completely shut him down, but at least stops him from scoring 18 in the first half, at least stops him from getting on fire from three, just like we saw from Joe Girard uh, against Clemson. And I was almost carbon copy from that. But again, thankfully, Carolina was able to sustain it this time around and get a win. But, um, you know, the other thing it causes is you just see more minutes from your starters. RJ played 39. Armando played 37, Elliot played 35, Harrison Ingram played 34, uh, Cormac only played 24, but a lot of that was his foul trouble issues that he had picking up his fourth foul early in the half. Now, that's the third thing I want to talk about here in the back half is Cormac Ryan. Look, 0 of 6 from 3 in the last game meant that this was going to be a game where he hit two or three threes. I think we talked about that on yesterday's show, and sure enough, Two of five from three, that's 40% from the three-point line in this game. Didn't offer really uh, a ton else in terms of extra stuff. No rebounds, one assist, three turnovers for Cormac. But there, there's always the hustle. There's always the veteran experience. And that's almost sometimes more critical. And one of those two threes, I might add, um, actually both of them. One was um, the three that caused Coachell to take uh, the timeout at the 15-ish minute mark of the first half. And I think his second three, I, I, I don't have this one cemented in my head. Sorry, we're just right off the game. But was also in, if I remember correctly, it was in Carolina's 14-2 to two run to start the second half. So two threes, both came at critical moments. I told you all week long, Coach Davis is not going to shift off of having Cormac Ryan as a starter. He's going to leave, them, leave him in there as a baseball manager would to somebody that's in a hitting slump and going to let him work out of it. And you saw that. And again, Cormac hit a couple. 
I want to want to end my kind of four observations on this back half with a kind of more like eh, thing to this game. Then we're going to go to your comments and observations and questions, see what we can get there. The biggest concern to me in this game, I mean, obviously you win and that's great. You love to get back in the win column, but North Carolina had a double digit lead in both halves of this game. Um, you know, in the first half, they got up. Let's see if we can see what the biggest got up by 11 with 15, eight to go where it was up 12. Was that the biggest lead of the first half? Yeah. Okay. So Carolina was up 12 with 1230 to go in the first half. Let Miami come all the way back and take a lead. Um, second half. Let's see what Carolina's biggest lead was of the second half. Sorry, I didn't get this in real time, but it's good to be able to do it. They led by 10 with 12 uh, at 11.45. At a, so 11 minutes to go. Carolina was up by 12. Uh, they led by 12 again with 7.30 to go. So Carolina led this game by 12 points with seven and a half minutes left. You got to make the plays down the stretch of both halves to finish it off. So that, that was the biggest critique for me in this game is Carolina did scuttle things away in the first half and nearly scuttled things away in the second half. Let Miami get all the way back to within two um, on a Wooga, Wooga Poplar layup with one ten to go um, held that off till 24 seconds. And then as you recall, uh, there was, as, as I said earlier, that, that block from Armando Baycott, um, that was big. And then Carolina struggled with free throws down the stretch, missed quite a few that that could have cemented the game. But and, and then we're kind of saved. You know, there was the intentionally missed free throw that Miami had to get. They got it. And frankly, caught had the ball like it was off Harrison Ingram. They, they would have gotten the ball back were it not for Ma basically like a Matthew Cleveland offsides. It's like it's almost like when you're going for an onside kick. Oh boy, this is this is rough to talk about because there's there's Tar Heel triggering with this right um, against Clemson. But thankfully, Matthew Cleveland came into the inside the three point arc before the ball hit the rim, and frankly, that was only because the ball actually hit the backboard before the rim and took that weird camera. It was a great great miss by Poplar on that, but Cleveland kind of saved our bacon. Ingram was able to ultimately inbound to Cormac Ryan. Nobody touched him. Ball game. Um, but th those closing segments of both halves have to be figured out better by Carolina. That, that is the one big critique from me in this game. All right, let's get to your comments and questions and see what happens. Uh, see if we can get some good stuff from there. And look, in the end of the day, let me, let me go here first. Obi, Obi Williams says it. I know I was just talking about like those, those closing moments. Look, it's a conference game. It's on the road. And Obi Williams says here, we got the dub on the road. That's all that matters. That's, look, very true. Big picture, what do people remember? The scoreboard and wins and losses. And Carolina got a W, not an L. Now, that doesn't mean there's pl not plenty to work on for the Tar Heels, um, but but that's where it really, really matters. L lots of stuff from folks talking, uh, folks talking about getting Trimble back healthy 100%. Um, uh, yeah, okay. Nintendo. Let's come back to this. Cause we mentioned it earlier. What's up, Nintendo. Glad you're here as always says, what do you think is happening with Jalen Withers minutes? He's still the first guy off the bench, but he's barely playing even with Seth out. Um, yeah, because with Seth in Seth is, is the first guy off the bench. Usually it's either Seth by himself or Seth, Seth with Jay Witt or Seth with Jay wash. 
Um, but in this game, it was Jalen Washington, or excuse me, Jalen Withers, the first sub into the game. But then, as we said, barely, barely played in uh, in the game in totality. In fact, let's see his first half and second half minutes played. Uh, Jalen uh, Withers in the first half played five minutes in the second half. Um, wow, yeah, zero total minutes. So I can't. I feel like he was on the court, but maybe it was one of those where it was just like under a minute. And I, I'm not looking at the total minutes breakdowns here. This is just the um, like the full number minutes breakdowns. Nintendo, here here's what I'm thinking is the case here. And and this is just me with my eyeballs and and thinking Coach Davis's language in my head. To me, this means something's happening in practice where he's not performing at the same level. This means that maybe the coaching staff is seeing something on film, something in his play that is not, he's not contributing at the same level he was, you know, about you think back to Louisville and the games surrounding that and what a, what a contribution he was making. It felt like in those first half minutes, he did a couple things that were really good. Um, you, you look at Jay Witt's box score in total. I mean, there's just really nothing there. Zero shot attempts, zero rebounds one assist and had that one turnover in the first half um, as Carolina had, I think it was seven in the first half, but I Nintendo, this is a puzzlement, man. I, you know, it, it's not just game script. It's not game flow because he's got the athleticism that you would expect him to be out there trying to guard these guards. And so, man, uh, a lot of weird stuff with that. So there is no specific, like there's nothing I'm seeing in his game that tells me this is why Jay Witt's not in. And that's, what's confounding about all of this. Um, so really, really odd. Lots of people saying, thank you, rulebook, on that. Uh, not necessarily lane violation, but the, the three-point violation. Um, Michael Jones, look, this is a true point. Um, I'm going to go hat backwards here for a little bit. Michael Jones says, we don't want to be playing our best right now, so I'm good. I'm glad we're winning, but not playing our best just yet. I can go both ways on this because there's obviously always the argument of you want to peak in March. Like as you, as you round out the end of the regular season into the ACC tournament, although you want to, you want to lose in the semifinals because I am super superstitious and then you want to win uh, and, and be playing your very best in the NCAA tournament. But also there, there's some of these ending game moments, these closeout of halves that Carolina should be doing better because of what a veteran team they are. And I know there were some, look, uh, you know, we talked about that, that closing stretch of the second half and how about it was not only was it missed free throws, Carolina had some terrible unforced free throws or excuse me, unforced turnovers like Elliot Cadeau got trapped and Carolina still had a timeout and he threw like seemingly to nobody it went right to a Miami player. Um, take a time out there. It's like uh, Cormac Ryan in, in that mistake against who that uh, Duke the other day. And so that was uncharacteristic as well. And so, yes, you want to be peaking later, but the, I, I'm, I'm not completely all in on this. Michael, I hear the sentiment of what you're saying, though, um, very, very much. Um, and so let's see what else we've got here. Um, Lamar Davis says, and this is kind of a big picture thing. How long do we have to wait for Jalen Washington to develop? I feel a transfer coming. Let me say two things to, to, to both of those, Lamar. Um, I think part of this is just being stuck behind Armando Baycott. If you don't have Armando Baycott, Jalen Washington would be given more leeway. He'd be given more minutes and we would just see him develop more because you've got somebody of Armando Baycott's capability 
experience, all that. It's just Jalen's not going to see that many minutes. Now, what's interesting is with Seth Trimble out these past two games, we've seen a few more minutes um, than we typically had, which was quite frankly, not many or any at all of both Baycott and Washington in the game together. We saw several minutes of that against Clemson and a few more here in this game. I haven't gone and look at the, at the um, lineup breakdowns of minutes played and, and how long they were on the floor together. But um, Lamar, I think it's just going to be a thing that we're going to have to keep watching to develop. Now, here's going to be the key, Lamar and others who might be wondering this. I do not think a transfer is coming unless we see this in the offseason. Carolina going out and recruiting an Armando Baycott type player, kind of recruiting over Jalen Washington. If that happens, then maybe a transfer is coming because... Um, all due respect to James Aconquo, he is not going to, to be Armando Baycott. I think he will just be a guy that is a backup at Carolina. I wouldn't be surprised if he got more minutes next year, but he, he would not, I think, come into the rotation at a consistent level. And so, um, Lamar, that's the sign to watch for me this offseason. Does Carolina recruit an Armando Baycott style big? And if so, is that somebody we would see over Jalen Washington in the rotation? That's that's going to be the key for this Nintendo has another question for us. Is Elliot Cadeau's outside shooting going to be a new weapon or will it just be a fluke? Well, as we sit here right now, Nintendo and others, because I'm sure others are wondering this and, and I talked about it earlier. Right now, you have to call it not fluke, but certainly not a new weapon, right? Uh, I think it would be closer to fluke than new weapon just because of what we've seen this year. But the truth is Elliot can and will hit these more consistently, but I don't think that's going to be this season. I think we will see it go in from time to time, and he's got to continue to take them to keep defenses honest, as we talked about earlier. But if, if we're calling it weapon, I don't think we'll see that. But man, just with him doing it, the confidence has to come into his head, right? Like that's critically important. And, and you look at Carolina as a team and what they did. I mean, one, two, three, four different Tar Heels hit a three in this game and all of them hit multiple. Two of six for Elliott, two of five for Cormac, two of five for Harrison and five of 11 for RJ. If you've got four guys on the floor, I mean, that's four of your five starters, the other being Armando Baycott. If you've got four guys who players are going to have to defend around the rim, that's critical. Let me also say this, and, and we've talked about it before. Elliott, this offseason, Yes, his, his shot is the biggest thing, but perhaps 1B is learning to finish with his left hand. He got blocked in this game as he was on the left side of the rim going up with his right that it would not have been blocked if he was able to use his right arm to ward off, forgive me, I can't remember the Miami defender, and go up with his left hand. That's a critical thing that Elliott will have to do this, um, this offseason. So big thing there. All right, we're running over 30 minutes already, so let me see if we can get Maybe, um, ooh, Tobacco Road Born. Great name. Love to see that. Says Ingram does so much that doesn't show up either. That tip out, huge. Carolina had multiple, like I, I want to shout out Harrison Ingram because we haven't talked about him. Interestingly, back-to-back -back games with lower rebounds. He had five in this one, but in totality, really efficient shooting day for Harrison in this game. Four of seven from the field, two of five from three for 13 points. Um, no assists, two turnovers. That's was kind of, yeah, but Harrison also had two blocks. And then, um, the, the, the like ugh, for Harrison, 
three of seven from the free throw line. That to me is the one Achilles heel in his game. Got to get that squared away. Carolina uh, as a team finishes 16 of 24 from the free throw line. So if Harrison can bring that together, man, that, that would be to me the final part of his game, but man, so true. Um, man, the, the tip outs, he had one. And then I think Armando had one, a possession later to get those tip outs really, really important stuff. And, and while we're talking about stuff that didn't show up, I meant to talk about this when we were talking about Cormac Ryan on one of Carolina's turnovers late in the game. I think this was another moment where a Miami layup would have tied it. Cormac got back, didn't block the shot, wasn't able to get a steal, but he did tip the ball out of bounds on a pass. I think that's what led to then the play where Armando blocked um, the Norchado mirror shot. So that's back-to-back big plays, but don't miss Cormac deflecting that ball. That's another thing that doesn't show up in the box score, but really helped Carolina secure this victory. So yes, Tobacco Roadborn, great, great point there um, on, on how important those things are. All right, guys, we got to get out of here. We're going to have a lot more to talk about, obviously on Monday's full show, but just wanted to react, celebrate a win, little too close for comfort down the stretch for all of us. I know we were all feeling that, but still you love as somebody, as we looked at earlier, you still love to get a victory and that's what's critically important. So, um, Carolina winners back on the winning streak. Now here's the thing. Last, last week we talked about you go from Duke and the emotion of that to turning around hosting Clemson Tuesday. This time it's not the emotional and mental taxation and physical taxation. You got to go from Miami right now, like get on that plane as quick as you can. I'm really, I'm not sure we need to check in if Carolina is going to go back home. I would assume they are because you know, you want to be home for Super Bowl stuff. But then on Tuesday, they play at Syracuse. So you're going from the farthest south ACC location to what, if my geography is right in my head, is the second northernmost location in the ACC, right? Like Syracuse is further south than Boston, right? I'm thinking correctly on that. But still, what a stretch. So Carolina, get home, enjoy the Super Bowl, rest up, get back on the plane, go up to Syracuse and take care of business. Syracuse lost, by the way, to Clemson. So Clemson, great job following up the win over Carolina with the win at Syracuse. That's like, obviously I hate the win over Carolina, but it's good for the conference to get more teams in the NCAA tournament. So anyway, that's where we're at. That's what Carolina's got to turn around and do. And then just even looking further ahead next Saturday, back at home against Virginia Tech. That's this critical three game stretch I talked about on yesterday's show. And then the Tar Heels get a week off before going to Virginia. So that's kind of laying out the, the state of things out ahead. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're not part of the Locked on Tar Heels Discord community, you are missing out. The link is in the show notes. Come join us. We would love to have you. Thank you for subscribing on YouTube and audio to the show. If you haven't, do so right now. It's awesome. Smash the like button if you're watching on YouTube. If you haven't rated and reviewed the show, it would mean so much if you would do that. It really helps spread the word of the show. Apple Podcasts is a great place for doing so. Want to remind you that it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel, especially after a win. We'll talk again on Monday's show, unpack this more in depth and in detail and talk other stuff. Hopefully some other great Carolina wins from this weekend because there's so many teams in action. Can't wait to talk to you on Monday, but until then, peace. Peace.